Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 38. My guest today is going to be my buddy, Dan Gabriel. Dan Gabriel started about the same time as I did, maybe a little bit earlier. And uh, he's a great comic. He lives out here in L.A. now. He's from San Francisco originally. He does a lot of cruise ships and uh, and clubs. He's always busy. He's got two boys, and uh, we're going to bring him on right now. So here we go. Hi, Dan Gabriel. How you doing, buddy? You too, buddy. Are you? Uh, so you just told me that you're in. Uh, you're in Grand Cayman. Is that right? Yeah, I'm in uh, Grand Cayman. Not for any shady reason. Yeah. Uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm on a cruise ship that's at port here, and um, Dan did a really fun excursion called Open an Offshore Bank Account and Hide Millions of Dollars from the IRS. Yeah. And snorkeling. <laughs> Do you have millions of dollars to hide from the IRS? I don't, but if you open a bank account here for just $10, you are almost guaranteed to be audited. You're almost guaranteed to what? To be audited by the IRS. <laughs> they, they can't tell how much your account is worth. They just know that you have an offshore account. Huh. Yeah, yeah. well... You know, I was I was watching that move that show on Netflix, Oz, Oz, the Ozarks or Ozarks or whatever it's called. I think it's just Ozarks. And uh, have you seen it? I have. It's a good show. Yeah, it's great. And uh, and I I didn't realize. I mean, I guess I did. But if you have a ton of money, there's only so much you can do with it if it's cash. I mean, you know, you can't really buy anything big with it because the IRS will nail your ass so you do have to launder yeah. it or, or whatever I learned a lot from watching that show <laughs> yeah it's nice to watch a show that makes you think oh well I don't want millions of dollars in cash yeah yeah it's not <laughs> it's not the uh, Garden of Eden you think it is it's actually just a huge fucking problem um so I don't yeah, know. I guess especially if you have a, if it, especially if you have a cartel that you're trying to launder it for, that apparently that makes it harder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, you never know who's into that stuff. I remember when I was a kid, there was this uh, referee that we knew, this wrestling referee, and he was like the nicest guy. And uh, turns out he, they found him on the side of the highway, murdered, and then they found like eighty thousand uh, dollars stuffed in a trunk in his house in cash and uh turns out he's in with the mafia and i guess he screwed over the wrong person and wow. they killed him yeah they stabbed him like 11 times in the neck and and shot him on the side of the road and and uh yeah so you just never know what nice person you're actually Man. yeah do you, do you... And you have to wonder if while they were torturing him and beating the shit out of them, if he was calling them on their illegal hold. <laughs> <laughs> he may have been. I don't know. <laughs> you can't do a full Nelson on me. Just shoot me in the head. <laughs> uh, so I hear... You seem to like the cruise ships. I hear a lot of people complain about them. And every time I see people like... Like on Instagram or something, I'm like that doesn't look too bad. Like you're in the you're you're. Out. I love the ocean. Um, what, what do you like about it? Or do well, you not I like mean, it? Whenever you're looking, when you're looking at somebody's Instagram or Facebook feed, they're only presenting the best parts, right? Yeah, Nobody's absolutely. Nobody's gonna post a photo of themselves crying and jerking off in their small cabin. <laughs> At the I mean, same time, I sometimes, but I present it well. Yeah, it's all about how you present it. Yeah, um, you know the the ship is okay. Um, it's it's really good money, and they pay for all of your travel, and you get to go to cool ports. Um, but it's it, it's like any other job. Like you can't leave if you want to, and you're away from your family or, or home for um, a chunk of time and uh, you know it has its, it has its good and bad and a lot of other comics will give cruise comics uh, try to try to you know talk shit about cruise comics saying that we're you know that we're book clowns or, or whatever but it, it's um, it's a tough gig because when you play in a city, 
that city has a, a certain personality or temperament, and everybody's kind of from that city, and you can you can gauge your act on that. But when you're playing a cruise ship, everybody's from everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you gotta you gotta have jokes that everybody gets, no matter where they're from. Yeah, and that's a different that's a different deal. It's it's um. You know, it makes it, uh, it it makes it challenging. You know. Yeah, it seems like it would overall make you more well rounded because you oftentimes have to be clean and pretty politically correct and all that stuff, and and you don't realize how hard it is to write that way until you're forced to do it, and 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 it it is. I mean, it's it's a challenging thing to write things that are not only clean but are still really funny. Um, I think Brian Regan is the is the best at it. He's probably the best clean comic there's ever been, in my opinion. Um, yeah, he, I I absolutely agree. Yeah, and you have to um, you have to do a clean. You have to be able to do a clean set with kids in the room. Mm-hmm. It's not so much yeah, and like Brian at least is performing in clubs and theaters, and it's mostly adults. But like when there's kids in the front row staring at you, and you have to include them or you know make them enjoy it enough just to shut up for the duration of it yeah and that's um you know there, there's a lot of challenge in that but um and also like from cruise cruise what is needed of you changes like i was on a cruise once where there were almost no americans it was all australians so i had to go through my act and take out anything that's American, like any American reference that they, because the joke would tank if they didn't understand what, you know, like I had a joke about commercials and they're not watching the same commercials that were watched. So right. like they, all of that wasn't going to fly, you know. How did the shows go? Did you do well? It went well, but, um, you know, I'm in my head the whole time sure. trying to, trying to filter out anything that's that they're not going to understand you know yeah i feel um, like i feel like they're they seem to be australians and people from the uk and that kind of thing just a few that i've met I've, I've been to ireland once and they seem to really enjoy comedy I, I yeah they really do and they're great audiences but you have to you have to reach them and if you're not talking about something that they can understand or relate to then it's going to be a rough time. Or I did another cruise where I did a show and it was a packed room and it was at Puerto Rico. And um, while I'm doing the show, I like the room's really chatty. They're, 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 they're talking to each other a lot during my set and not enough where I can pinpoint one person mm-hmm. and make fun of that one person for being rude because it's throughout the theater. Yeah. And I get off stage and I ask my buddy, well, what just happened? And he said, most of them didn't speak English. And what you heard was the people who did speak English explaining your jokes to the people who didn't. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> that would be, yeah. uh, that'd be kind of distracting. And that's, yeah, that's another, that's another thing about the job is that sometimes when you find yourself in a situation like that, you can't explode or call bullshit the way your comic instincts want to do. Sometimes you just gotta take it. You just gotta, you just gotta plow through and smile like it's going fine and just take your beating. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing the 1 a.m. tonight at the comedy store, and I call it the ball kicking spot. It's like you're just getting kicked on the balls for yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah, and you have to drive an hour for that ball kicking. <laughs> well, that time of night it'll be about 35 minutes, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna drive down there and get my. But I'm gonna try out some new stuff, and sometimes, sometimes what I'll do if it's a spot like that, and you never know. Sometimes at the comedy store it'll be pretty busy at 1 a.m., but oftentimes it does suck and sometimes i'll just work on getting like like the words down or like cutting out some words that i don't need you know i'll just do it like there's actually people in there and i just kind of turn off that part of my brain or try to that doesn't need laughs 
<laughs> you know, but yeah. e even after 19 and years, that's hard to be, do. The OR can be brutal. Yeah, it can be brutal even if it's packed. Yeah, it's it's a weird. That's a that's a weird room. I, I mean, I like it, but it's it's also not a good representation for what the rest of the world is going to <laughs> laugh at. Like, yeah. it's, it's a really inside industry room, and everybody in there is either a comic or an actor or really close to a comic or an actor. And a lot of times they have, for some reason, Australians come into the comedy store all the time, so a lot of times it'll be foreign people and, you know... Um, and, and sometimes it can be great, but then the very next night or the very next show can just be awful. And that room probably represents that, the inconsistency of comedy, more than, than any other room in the country, from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite yeah. room in the country? And it's so famous. Everybody, you know, and everybody's, everybody who's anybody has, has played that room, so it's a nice feeling of history when you're there, mm -hmm. but... It, it, it also can be very, very challenging. Yeah. I find when I do that room, I gotta, um, I gotta, I gotta go up really humble, because if I go up in attack mode, they just eat me alive. Yeah, you you have to really disguise jokes there. Like, if I go up and just kind of do my act, it's almost like they don't like that, you know. They're mad at you for having written down a joke beforehand. <laughs> like, how dare you put forethought into this, you fucking hack. Yeah, you hack piece of shit. You know. <laughs> part of that is, uh, you know, and maybe, who knows what'll, what'll happen now, but part of that, I think, is uh, the Louis C.K. effect, like how quickly he was writing stuff and how he would just go up there and it looked like he was just kind of talking. And and it seems like a lot of people these days that are starting out, they think that's what comedy is. And I'm like, you don't realize how long it took for him to do that um, to get to where it looked like he was just going up and talking off the top of his head. And I wonder how, if that's going to change at all now because... He's. I don't. Do you think his career's over? You know, uh, I've 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 spent a lot of time talking and thinking about Louis lately, and I've I heard those rumors about him a long time ago, and mm -hmm. I wasn't mad at them then, and I'm still not mad at him now. Like I I think if you're into that, how else are you supposed to get it other than asking? Right. You know, like, I, he asked, they could have said no, or they could have left. He wasn't, like, blocking the door. I mean, I understand it's a weird situation, and it's not what everybody's into, but I don't think he should be lumped in with the Roy Moores or the Trumps of the world. Like, he, he, it's not predatory as much as it was just trying to indulge weird fetish. And and he's been indulged countless times because he's getting pretty cocky about it. So, um, you know, I was I was just talking to uh, to Justin Leon about this and, you know, his opinion on it was kind of like that he took advantage of his power and that kind of thing. And, and from what I understand, and in my opinion, uh, I don't think he took advantage of anyone any more than, say any other comic who's gotten a girl he didn't deserve or a musician who's gotten a girl he didn't deserve or or whatever or a rich guy who got a girl he didn't deserve i mean throughout history that has been the case guys have gotten women that on just you know like if donald trump worked at walmart he wouldn't be with fucking melania you know that would have never been a thing yeah, there's no well, way I mean, like stanhope had this great uh line i mean or, or bit about how that's why Anything gets made or done, it comes down to a guy trying to impress a woman, exactly. or, or impress a you know to find a mate or to to you rise above their stature by by creating something, and that's like part the you know that's a part of the world. But you know you don't see so far none of this is spilled over into rock stars. Have you noticed that? Because rock stars, it's kind of assumed, do weird shit and 
uh, are into weird sex shit, and, you know, there's rumors about, you know, Led Zeppelin uh, doing weird sex shit, or, like, even Frank Sinatra eating eggs off of, uh, you know, somebody's tits. Like, it's, it hasn't gone over into music yet, because we sort of assume that that's already the world there. Yeah. And from what I about yeah, absolutely. And with with uh, with Louis, I'm I'm like, you know, unless there's more to it than I know, like if he did he threaten someone's career or anything like that. Because otherwise, I'm like, it's really just kind of a off question, you know. Because the women who said uh, no, he was like, okay, I'm sorry, I've got problems, you know. And and you know, he he got he found out that he that turned him on somehow, whether he got abused or whether. You know, for whatever whatever reason. Um, so, from what I understand, I'm like, eh, that's that's a that's a question I sure as hell wouldn't ask. But you know, I, when I was single, I would ask girls after shows. You know, my line sometimes, especially if I was drinking. So you want to make out, and that's not the best line. But I got to tell you, it worked a few times. And you know, yeah. Lu- Louis C.K. saying, "You can I can I jerk off in front of you?" is like. <laughs> Kind of the same question on a on a you know just a level that most people aren't used to hearing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and he didn't hold any of them down. They were um, none of they were all of age. He he obviously was hanging out with them enough to the point where he thought he could get away with that. Yeah, you know, but like. It's not, or even Al Franken, like, I heard that the the woman in the photo was in on the gang, and she was pretending to be asleep. Well, there was also a video of her at the same, like, the same event, like, grabbing all these guys' cocks and all this stuff, so it's like, well, you know. (laughs) And now she's on the cover of Playboy, and with the Franken thing, I know I sound like a Roy Moore supporter when I say this, but, like, the timing of it is a little too on the nose. It's almost like somebody approached her and said, hey, you, you want to be on the cover of Playboy? Yeah. I, I don't even you know, know. Who's Roy Moore, by the way? What happened? Who, what's that? What? I, I honestly don't know who that is. He's a, he's a senator in uh, from Alabama okay. who is up for re-election and about... 16 women have accused him of um, uh, being sexually inappropriate when they were underage. Okay. Like, he used to go to the mall when he was like a 35-year-old district attorney in Alabama. He would go to the mall and hit um, little girls and or teenage girls and it got so bad that the mall banned him from being there. Jesus. And he's a senator now? And he's now, and not only is he a senator, but he's leading in the polls against the Democrat who, when, uh, um, who, when he was a DA, prosecuted the, the Klan uh, for, for, and and Trump has thrown his support to Roy Moore because he says it's more important to have a Republican in that seat, regardless of all of these accusations that have come out. And even Mitch McConnell, the head of the Republican Senate, has said, I believe the women, but Trump has still come out in support of Roy Moore. So we're electing a pedophile, a known pedophile. They're electing... A you know, next Tuesday, the 12th, in the, they're going to have the election in Alabama, and they might elect a pedophile just because he's not a Democrat. Wow. Holy shit. This is why I haven't really been paying attention lately, because I'm like, everything is such a shitstorm anymore, I don't even really want to know. That is insane to me. The mall literally was yeah. like, dude, you can't come here anymore because you're hitting on teenagers. Yes. He was banned. And so, um, so he goes on. Uh, he goes on a radio show. He goes on Sean Hannity's radio show, a conservative show. And Sean Hannity's trying to throw him softballs to like 
try to clear his name. Huh. And he doesn't deny it. His best excuse is, I never dated a girl without permission of her mother. Oh, my God. That was his, like, so we're good, right? <laughs> Man, I try to defend the South, and, and it's hard because sometimes, you know, they do shit like this sometimes. I'm like, Man... <laughs> And they started playing Sweet Home Alabama, and it just has a different <laughs> connotation in, in the world right for right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, have you yeah. been have you been doing a lot of clubs lately too, or just mainly cruise ships or um, I've been doing some clubs. I'm gonna do the funny bone in Richmond. Uh, Virginia, um, at the end of the month, I'm going to do New Year's there and the week uh, going up to New Year's because my wife is from there and I like to play at the club there when I um, go out to visit my in-laws um, so that I have a, a reason to leave at night and go drink for free. Yeah, plus you get to hang out with Jason Dixon. Oh yeah, and plus I get to see Dixon and then, you know, uh, there's, you know, dear old friend of both of ours and and um easily one of the wisest yeah easily one of the wisest guys in comedy jason dixon yeah i i I love dixon it's you know um and 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 wise about the world it's not just comedy like he's a great person to just discuss you know anything with he, he, he really you know puts extra thought into it and he's one of those guys that knows every baseball fact you could possibly imagine oh really I didn't know that about Dixon at all huge baseball fan he took me to my first Royals game okay when, once one time when we were in Kansas City he took me uh, to the Royals and, and just you know was full of little uh, fun facts about the Royals and about that stadium and um yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing him. So yeah, I'm still doing some clubs, um, but uh, you know, a lot of ships because the ships pay better. The clubs are more fun. The sh- you know, ships ships uh, are paying the bills. So yeah, I'll do like one or two ships a month, and then squeeze in some clubs where where they'll fit. You're from San Francisco, right? That's where you started. Yeah, that's where I was born and raised, and. I started comedy in Sacramento, but I mean it's that's pretty close. It's I you know when I was going to Davis, I started comedy in Sacramento, and then I moved back to the city and kept doing it there. So I'll still play the clubs there. I still love playing cops and the punchline, and and uh, it's a good excuse to go visit my family. Yeah, yeah. Comics are. Uh, I read this. I read this article today. I was. I kind of was curious what what had been going on with Louis. If anything else had come out about it, and I. I clicked on this article and it was this guy who was uh, basically bagging on all male comedians saying we're all this and that. And uh, I was like, that's just not fucking fair, man. (laughs) You can't just throw us all in the same thing. You know, I mean, comics, obviously, at least the good ones, we've all got something sort of weird about us, you know, but not, you know, you know, it's just kind of the way it is. And this guy was talking about how uh, he was talking about a Louis episode where Louis was uh, bitching at this lady after a show about how she was talking during his set. And this, the author of this article was like, oh, how dare anyone talk during a comedian's set? It's so, their silence is so precious. And he was just shitting on it. And I'm like, man, you don't know how distracting it is to do comedy with someone in the front row just having a full-on conversation with someone. I'm like, it, it just, you just can't know what you're talking about. And And it was just... I don't know. I see that more and more. It's disrespectful. And if you don't point it out, you feel like an asshole when you get off stage. You feel like, oh, I, 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 sh- I should have addressed it. I don't know why I didn't address it next time I'm going to talk to him. And people don't know. You know, a lot of people go to a comedy show and they don't know how the situation works. And they just... I was doing a show uh, a few months ago where the girl up front was like looking at her phone and I can see her face glowing because her phone is, is on her face. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, you know, why don't you put your phone away 
and enjoy the show. And she honestly didn't know she was doing anything wrong. Yeah. She just grew up in a world where people stare at their phone all day and shouldn't take it personal. And I, I was trying to explain to her that that's not how this situation works. And it's rude. And put it away. If, if You know, I, I can understand you checking your phone if you get a, uh, an emergency text from your babysitter. You know, that's one thing. But when you're staring at it for 10 minutes while I'm trying to look at the crowd and do jokes, it's, it's rude. Yeah. And somebody has to point that out. And that's the thing about being a comic is that our whole job is pointing out shit that we see that's wrong or that's that's off and trying to build on it. And so we're sensitive to that stuff. Yeah. And you know, it's not like a musician who can just keep playing the song and close their eyes and just get through the song. There's a back and forth. It's a you know, it's a tennis match between you and the crowd and it's a you know yeah, and, and, and it requires respect on both sides. Yeah, and, and a lot of success, uh, a stand-up show being successful is in the in the details. Like, it, it's one of my biggest pet peeves when when uh, when they don't seat the room the right way. Like, you know, like if it's a small crowd and they're like, sit wherever you want. I'm like, God damn it, you know, like it's it's all about energy. And if you set that little, if you sit thirty people in a group together right up front. You can have a great time with those 30 people. But if you spread them all out and all that shit, it's going to be horrible for everyone. And when they don't yeah, see, when they don't know that or they don't... play in for separate crowds. Yes. If you break everybody up into pairs, you're, you're, you're playing to each one of them separately. But when they're next to each other, their energy feeds off each other. Exactly. It's, it's better, but so many clubs don't know or don't care or... You know, it, it, but at least, hey, at a club, most of the time, there's a door guy or there's somebody who will try to help fix a problem for you while you're on stage. They'll walk up and whisper, hey, you gotta stop that, or, you know. Yeah. But on the ship, there's nobody coming to help you. Really? It's just Thunderdome? We don't know that that's part of the deal. Or I'll have, sometimes on the ships you play in a club, it's, it's not, most of the time you're in the theater, but sometimes they have like a club setting to try to, try to recreate the comedy club feel. Yeah. So you're not that high off the ground. You're maybe half a foot higher than the crowd, right? Mm -hmm. And the waiters and waitresses don't know how comedy works, so they'll stand directly in front of you. Yeah. And take somebody's drink order and block 40% of the room from being able to see you. And they're not ducking or trying to blend in at all because they don't know that's distracting as shit. Yeah. Man, I wonder if, I wonder if stand-up... Goddamn, dude, is it gonna get to the point where we can't even do it anymore? <laughs> like, like our audience is gonna be so bad, like so conditioned. Like, think about kids nowadays being born into into this, where they literally don't know anything else. Like, you can't even almost blame them. They're just like, you know, they're so born with a phone in their hand now. How's it gonna be in twenty years? Well, you know, everybody's worried about artificial intelligence taking away their job, but I take a lot of comfort in knowing that you can't replace us with a robot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, stand-up's not going anywhere because A, people are miserable and they need a release. And B, it's super cheap to produce because all you need is a light and a microphone and a, and a person. You don't need a band and you don't need special effects and you don't need you know dancers or, or cues like we're I think our job security lies in the fact that there's not that many people who can do what we do I mean there's a lot of people who say that they're comics because they do five minutes at an open mic once a month but the real comics who are out 
doing the work yeah. and filling 45 minutes of time and distracting people from their, their, their fucked up lives for 45 minutes. Like the guys who can, the guys and gals who can do that, I think have job security because it's, it's hard to replace that and you can't replace it for cheaper. Like they could roll down a, a movie screen and, an Eddie Murphy special or a Kevin Hart special or whatever, but it's not going to have the same effect as a guy in the room with you and reacting to things as they happen. Right. I mean, from an audience standpoint, though, do you think audiences someday will be so bad and so scatterbrained that they won't be able to focus long enough on a comedy show? I think that people's minds are going to be altered by the technology that we have. But the, the whole point of comedy is, is people who are also in that same mindset telling you jokes from that point of view. So even though the crowd is spoiled by their phones, the comics are also spoiled by their phones and hopefully can talk about it. That's true. And address it in a way where it, relieves the situation you know what i mean like if i had if i just wrote a blanket bit at the beginning about how it's rude to look at your phone the whole time it would cut down on that happening for that show because i've already thrown that idea out yeah yeah i think you know what i mean so there's ways to adjust um and that's you know that's why i think stand-up is is you know, so special because we don't need any of that extra shit. All we need is words. Yeah, I think you make a good point about the uh, job security because there, there's always going to be value in in being competent at what you do. It's like Billy Joel said, uh, I'm not a, an amazing musician. I'm a very competent musician in a sea of incompetence. And and that's kind of how it is with comedy. There's, there's really only a... There, I don't know what the percentage would be but how many people can do 45 to 50 minutes and, like you said, deal with, you know, a bad crowd and, and all that stuff? The, the percentage of that is still pretty low. Like, I know there's a lot of YouTube and all that stuff, people getting famous from that stuff. But the people who can actually do what we do and, and, and are good at it, like, I haven't had a day job in almost 17 years now. And, and it a lot of my work just kind of materializes, you know, there's a lot of places that need good comics and, and, the, you know, eventually they'll get to your ass. <laughs> like, Hey, you, yeah. you know, and there's, there's really not that many people who can hold a room for an hour without anybody in that room knowing who you are beforehand. Yeah. It's a good point. You know what I mean? Like there, there's, it's, it's a lot easier to become a YouTube sensation and fill a room because you had a funny video. But can you make those people entertained for an hour after you've exhausted whatever you did on the YouTube video? I've opened for a million YouTube stars that couldn't get through 12 minutes. Really? Because it's a different, it's a different deal. And that fame is fleeting. It's, you know what I mean? Like, we don't need the fame to do our job. Right. The, the fame would help sell some tickets, but the selling of tickets has nothing to do with doing the job once they're there. Yeah. You know, I don't even know if I've really thought about that before, but that is, you know, that is even harder to do is, is you know, you're not a draw, you're not the, you're not the, uh, you know, you're not famous. They didn't necessarily come to see you. They just know they're coming to see a comedy show, and it's a comedy club, so the comedy, you know, it should be good, but being able to, to hold their attention for 50 minutes without them knowing who you are, that that's a, you know, that's a good way to, I've never really even really thought about it that way. It's a unique skill that, that 90% of people who call themselves comedians don't have. Right. Can you can you keep a room of people in there entertained for an hour without them knowing anything about you? Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like a lot on a lot of the shifts, I'll do two shows. Right. I do one clean show, and then I tell them, "Hey, I'm going to do another adult show later that'll be completely different." And I don't think anything.
crowd that's there for the clean show, but I feel like the crowd that's there for the for the next show is the crowd I earned yeah. because they saw me do the one set and they liked me enough to come back and and want more. Right. But if I don't if I don't get them on that clean show, then then the second show suffers. You know. Yeah. So. How uh, um, how, how often I, have you? Know, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to ask how often you've been on the road lately. How how hard it is to be away from your boys because you got two of them, right, Max? And I, I forgot the youngest one's name. Sorry. Alex. Um, yeah, it's tough, and this is a tough run because I was gone for a week, and then I was home for forty six hours, and then I had to leave again for two weeks. Oh wow. So. Yeah, this is a tough run for the boys and for my wife, and and, and I, my wife is sending me photos of Los Angeles right now, and it looks like the apocalypse because all of the smoke in the air. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's like that down down uh, where where you're at, but in the valley, it's it it looks it looks like hell. <laughs> no, I haven't um, seen it. It looks fine over here, but there's fires right now. Yeah, there's a bunch of fires. Um, in like in Ventura and in San Fernando and the winds are not only making the fires worse but they're swirling around all of the ash and dust so there's little cracks underneath our doors mm-hmm. in our house Yeah. and my wife was walking around the house and she was like why are my the bottoms of my feet black and it's because all of the ash is getting pushed in just through the cracks under the door. Wow. Is covering the floor Jesus. with ash. So, uh, yeah. And it's funny because there's an ongoing theme of when I'm home, all is well with the world. Right. As soon as I leave, that's when there's fires <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, my, one of the kids will break an arm or like... But, Shit hits the fan as soon as I leave. Yeah, and it's it's almost funny now that that's the way it goes. But you know, um, it is it is tough to be away from my boys when I miss them terribly. But also, like um, we luckily the technology in the world is such that I have a Wi-Fi signal the whole time. And my wife can call me any moment she wants to. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not on stage or in the shower, I can answer the phone and and we can talk. And that's pretty amazing to be in the middle of the ocean yeah. and be so reachable. It's cool as shit that we're doing a podcast. Not once has the phone really cut out or dropped and you're in the middle of the ocean right now. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just wild to me. What, what do you like best about, about having... Two kids, especially boys. Um, I, I just always knew that I wanted to be a dad, and it's just great being able to show my kids things that I love and the way I see the world working, and and you know, getting to see things through their eyes makes me appreciate them more. Like, I got to introduce my son to Weird Al Yankovic recently. Really? Not, not like the person, but to introduce him to the concept of Weird yeah. Al Yankovic. And I would, I, I'd get to show him beat it, and then I'd get to show him eat it. And I'd show him bad, and then I'd show fat. And, you know, he his brain exploded. He couldn't believe how funny it was. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or, like, I got to show him, I got to show him Star Wars. And then I got to show him Spaceballs. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean, just the the pure joy in my son's eyes watching him watch Spaceballs was like me watching Spaceballs again for the first time. Really? You know, like, as comics, as comics, we get jaded, and it's, it's um, a reminder that we don't have to be, or that it's you know, the world is still a place of wonder, even though we get angry and jaded over things. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I've, I've genuinely yeah. been trying to enjoy it more lately. Like, when I'm on stage, I try to step back a little bit sometimes and be like, well, this is pretty fucking cool what you're doing right now, you know? Um, that you get paid for this and you get to go back to a hotel room and someone else is paying for and, you know, it's during the day right now and I'm still in my pajama pants. You know, there's no real reason to... <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten quite a bit yeah, done today, well, but there's no reason. I'm, to... I'm laying on a beach, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm at work right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. jokes. What'd you say? You know, because jokes it, yeah. are what what gave me all of this, or just like being at my house and thinking jokes are what provided all of this. Yeah. Yeah, my my you car know, my car's amazing. my car's paid for out there, and uh, it's all it's all because of jokes. I tell myself that sometimes. I'm like, jokes bought that, <laughs> you know, um, because yeah, you don't you you, you kind of do get jaded or forget sometimes, and you have to like today when I'm walking my dog in my pajama pants, I'm like, this is it's beautiful outside, and I'm like, this is pretty cool that you get to do this. You know, you need to be thankful for it yeah. and and conscious of it. You could be. You could be touring a roof, you could be mopping a hallway, you could be sitting behind a desk, staring at a screen, looking at charts and numbers that don't matter to your life at all. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's a, uh, I, I, I'd way rather be a comic at the level I'm at than be the funniest insurance salesman in the office. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge wrestling fan, and and this having this job allows me to to be able to watch it and listen to podcasts and all that kind of crap. And uh, you know, it it's it's really cool. My schedule right now, I, I go on the road about twice a month, which is only about ten days, and then I do shows in town when I want to. And some weeks I don't call in my avails anywhere, and I don't do shit. And and that's all right. <laughs> if I want to do that, I can. Yeah. You know. And you have the freedom to do that and to take the time off. And, you know, if you had a regular job, you couldn't just take a week off if you if you felt like it. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, we, you know, we have, a, we have a good life and, you know, brought to us by comedy and we have job security. But it took the initial, it took the initial fire test of jumping into this world without any guarantees of how it was going to go or, or, or that it was going to turn into anything, you know? Like, I met you when you were still in Kansas City, and I was just featuring at Sanford and Sons, and, you know, I've gotten to see you come a huge way. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. I, well, I, I've gotten to watch you become an amazing comic, you know, from from just this dude in Kansas City who, who you know, was just getting MC spots at Sanford and stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. That's nice of you to say. Um, I, I've always, I was hoping that it would work out. We could work together in March in uh, at the Laugh Factory in, in, in Reno, but I guess you're booked. Um because I, I enjoy working with you. You're, uh, you know, I've followed you. You followed me. It's, uh, and, and I, I think it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good show as far, you know, it just, it just, it just flows well. And, and you, you've got. Yeah. And I like, I like hanging out with you for, I'm bummed that I couldn't do it. I'm, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm on a ship during that. Um, and you know, I'm, I'll be making more money, but I would way rather be hanging out with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had a good time there last time, and uh, the shows are easy. I think I headline and do like 35 minutes. It's just cake. So uh, even when the shows aren't great, it's like, eh, 35 minutes. I can do pretty much anything for 35 minutes. Yeah, and that's a fun, that's a fun room, and it's a good hotel, and the food is good, and there's a theater down the street, and... It's it's the best club in Reno, which you know I I realize isn't saying that much, but like it's it's a fun little vacation. That's, I think of club weeks as a vacation now because I don't have to watch my mouth at all. Mm -hmm. Like on the ships, I have to be very careful not to piss anybody off because I got I I'm stuck 
on a floating city with them for the rest of the time. But clubs, you have the freedom of everybody going in their separate directions after it's over. And so you can you can get away with a lot more. Yeah. So I, I love doing clubs. I would rather be doing clubs, but, you know, um, it's, it's, it doesn't feed my family as well. Right. Yeah. It, it, uh, what do you, do you, do you have one gig that stands out as the worst in memory ever? Now I don't really have worst. I just throw them in my top 10. I told somebody that, I think I said it on the podcast the other day. I'm just like, yeah, that was in the top 10 shittiest I've ever done. But the worst is kind of subjective. So do you have one that stands out? Um, I have, you know, I have a bunch of, I have a bunch of nightmare stories about different, um, you know, different shows that were brutal for one reason or another. Um, I guess the one that stands out in my head is, um, and this is sort of showing how old I am and how long I've been doing comedy, but when, um, the Columbine shooting happened, remember Columbine? I know there's so many shootings since then, but do you remember? Sure. (laughs) The kids went and, and shot up their high school. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was playing... I was playing a club in Denver oh, shit. about a month after that. And the club owners, it was these new club owners, and I was headlining. It was my first week headlining there. And they had bought the club and just kept whoever was already on the schedule and just trusted that the whole booker knew what he was doing. But it was my first time headlining there. And I wasn't ready to headline. I was young. I was just, I had a decent feature week, and the guy decided to bump me up, and I'm sure I didn't have 45 minutes. I had maybe a half hour that I was trying to stretch. Mm -hmm. So the new club owner says, hey, will you do a benefit for the Columbine kids? And I think it's going to be raising money to send them to Disneyland. Yeah. So I agree to it. And then I find out that it's not that. It's it's entertaining the kids who were shot. Fuck. The ones who survived and the ones who were most directly impacted just perform a show for them and their parents to try to cheer them. Oh. And I ate the biggest shit burger. And and I can't even, like, while I'm on stage getting no laughs out of them, I can't even really feel sorry for myself about it. Because right. when it's over, I'm still, I still have no bullet holes in me. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm looking at the kid who was shot in the face and they pulled him out of the window and so all cut up when he was pulling out the window and he's I'm looking at the, looking directly at him and he's in a wheelchair and and I just didn't have the skills to get through that situation and I was trying to just tell him my club act but I didn't realize how many of my jokes ended in somebody dying wow. and none of those jokes worked <laughs> all of those jokes are like are you fucking serious did you just say that joke to us <laughs> Uh, it's awful, dude. I'm laughing because I, I just feel your pain. And wh- like you said, what are you going to do? Get mad at them for being a shit audience? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not even like, the, it was, and they weren't even at the club. I yeah. swear to God, you know where the show was? And the Michael Moore movie haven't come out yet. The show was at the bowling alley. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that's... So, not only am I doing this show for people who aren't going to laugh at the jokes I'm telling them and who are in this horrible situation, but I also have to deal with the background noise of bowling. Yeah, I, I, I've done a, a show or two at a bowling alley, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's up there with some casinos <clears throat> as far as noise in the background and all that shit. <laughs> what a horrible yeah, idea. bowling for college so you did they didn't they didn't laugh at anything the whole time no i hate it i mean i might have gotten a couple of a couple of chuckles at the beginning 
what? just went back to the condo and tried to do you remember tried to digest what had just happened. Do you remember Stacy from the Omaha Funny Bone and then she moved to Denver and then now she's out of the business? Um, she sent me once to this, this place in Iowa. It was like all these farmers and, and I was way too, uh, new at comedy to do it, but they were offering me 500 bucks. So I was like, yeah, I can do it. And it was so bad, dude. Like they just stared at me. I had sweat rolling down my back (laughs) and then after, but I I did my 45 minutes and then it was after it was over. The guy was like, how much do I owe you? And I'm like, 500 bucks. (laughs) You could see him. He did not want to write that check. He's like this fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, you stood there. You, you stood there and took it. I stood there and so, took it. Yeah. But that's all you yeah. can do. That there's some yeah. nights that is absolutely all you can do is just take it. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had sort of a rough show on the shift the other day just because. They were, first of all, they were really old. There wasn't one person on the ship under 70. Yeah. And, um, and it was the last, I was the last night of a 13 night cruise where they had seen jugglers and magicians and singers and they had seen an act, they had seen an amazing act every night. Yeah. And then it's me just saying words. So I kind of ate it. Yeah. And the next day I'm at the buffet and a guy goes, Hey, were you the comedian? And I said, uh, yeah, I was. And he goes, um, that didn't seem like it went well. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I actually think what I said to him is, uh, nobody left. (laughs) I can totally see you (laughs) saying that. (laughs) And he said, he goes, you know, it's not that your jokes weren't funny, it's just that we've seen all of these amazing variety acts every night, and so when you were up there, just you and and words, we were all collectively wondering when you were going to do a backflip, when you were going to pull a cat out of your ass, or when, you know, where's the ta-da thing? Is this guy just really standing there talking? That's, that's the act? Yeah, my buddy Josh Heinrichs is a big reggae guy, and he wanted me to ha- wanted me to do his reggae festival, and I was like, well, you know, following music can be pretty tricky, and he's like, ah, oh, it'll be fine, and I'm like, all right, well, just so you know, it's not, and I, he had me do three 15-minute sets, and the first one was fine, um, because people weren't, you know, hadn't listened to any bands yet, but after the first band, it's almost impossible, I mean, it was just... It was in this small, smaller venue, and it was the people that were la- that were listening were having a good time. But I was basically doing stand up at a full on rock concert, like and they were still in that mode, like everyone talking, and and it was just Thunderdome. And I just I just stood there and took it, and I had a great time with the people that are listening. But he's like, yeah, I learned a lot about uh, a lot about comedy shows and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like you know, it's a, it's a delicate chemistry equation. Yeah. And if- and any variable can mess up the whole equation. Yeah. And not a you lot know, of people understand it, it, that. It's delicate, man. It, you can put it in anywhere and expect it to go perfect. Like, part of the magic of it is that anything can happen. And, all you know, the best that we can do is to try to control as many of the variables as we can. Yeah. I did a... Um, I did a corporate show a long time ago, and it was uh, it was me and Ruben Paul and Gabriel Iglesias. Yeah, and we're all in the back room. It was like it was like um, all these representatives of all these cable were like having some sort of summit, and we were there to perform for them. So the handle or whatever says, "Okay, we're going to start the show when the dinner is served." And Reuben Paul says to me, um, that's not a good idea. We, sh- we, we shouldn't do that because people can't laugh at, at the same time. It's physically impossible. And I'm a cocky asshole. So I said, no, I'll be fine. I got it. And I went up and Reuben was absolutely, I ate it. Yeah. Because people could 
was not left. They were eating, they, you know. And then by the time Reuben and Gabriel went up, they were done eating. Right. So they had great sets. But I looked like the idiot because I didn't listen to Reuben. And every time I see him, I remind him of that, about how I should have listened to him. When was this? This was... 15 years ago. Oh, so a long time ago. Okay. Because now you'd be like, yeah. Gabriel wasn't, Gabriel wasn't a household name yet, but he was, he was still, you know, on his way. Right. Yeah. Well, um, now you would know, I was, I thought, at first I thought you were telling me that, that this happened recently and I was in, but yeah, now it makes sense. Because now you'd, you'd exactly know. Because that's the worst, man. I, I, I joke, that's, I joke about that when people are eating, I'll say it's like doing comedy in a cafeteria. Um, which gets a laugh, but then they go right back to eating. So, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's physically impossible to, like, best case scenario, you make somebody choke. <laughs> and even that isn't, isn't loud. It's yeah. not, it's not gratifying to hear a room full of choking. Yeah. You know? Well, I've, I've done a few crowds but, where that would be kind of gratifying. But I've every ever since then I've remembered that lesson and several times and I've had to say no, that's not going to work. Here's why: mm-hmm. let's hold off on the show for 15 minutes and give the comedy a fighting chance. Yeah, I did a fundraiser recently for a buddy of mine's wrestling team, and uh, last year the microphone cut out and wasn't working. So, so this year they made sure the microphone was working. But then this year, and it's not their fault. They didn't realize they don't realize the little things that go into it. But like, I was I told the guy introducing me, I was like, "Hey man, take a couple of minutes to kind of get them calmed down so they know what's getting ready to happen." Like, you know, turn down the lights or whatever. And he's like, "Okay." And I go over to the side, and he's like, "All right, everybody, you're comedian tonight." <laughs> and they're still eating, and the room is huge and like brightly lit and all that stuff. And uh, I was telling him after it still ended up going pretty well once we got into it, but. It started out really rough, and I was like, well, you know, by next year we're going to have this down. You know, we're going to get the lights where they need to be and make sure everybody can hear me and all that shit. And, uh, you know, because it is, man. It's all in the freaking details. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, whenever I would do colleges, I would always say, who's the, who's the smartass? Who's the guy who thinks he's funny and he's going to give me, he's going to be a huge pain in the ass? from the back row who, who is that guy because he's doing five minutes yeah and that guy would go up and not only would it shut him up for the rest of the time he would realize how hard it is but the audience would see him struggle and realize how hard it is mm-hmm. and be a lot easier on me yeah yeah that's that's another Jason Dixon uh, nugget he was like if you're good at this you make it look easy so everyone thinks they can do it you know, because it looks like you're just up there talking. Well, you know, and I hear open micers all the time say that. I'm just going to go up and talk tonight. I'm like, well, good luck, motherfucker. I'm sure that's going to go great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, we're almost at an hour, Dan. I really appreciate you being on here. You're one of my favorite uh, people in, in the business, and uh, you're a great comedian, and uh, I always enjoy seeing you, so I appreciate you taking an hour out of your day and uh, doing this for me. No problem, Tim. You are also one of my favorite people in, in comedy and in the world, and, and we got to hang out the next time I'm uh, I'm home for a chunk of time, because I, I miss your face. Absolutely. Is there any place, uh, anything you want to you wanna say to where you think people can find you or anything? Um, people can go to my website, dangabriel.net, or they can just type Dan Gabriel into their phone and some shit will come up. Cool. Uh, I got three albums on iTunes. I'm on Pandora, Spotify, YouPorn, Farmers <laughs> Only, J Date. Just you know, find me. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, uh, take care out there. It's out at sea, and uh, and have a good time. And and give me a call when you get back. Okay, man. I will. And right. uh, sorry, I can't do Reno. I, re- I really would have loved to, but um, you know, hit me up the next the next go around the next time you you know. Harry will let you bring a guy. Uh, yeah. Well, know, let me know about the next one. He hasn't booked me yet in Vegas, so maybe we can make that happen. I'd love that. I'd love that, because Vegas is way easier to get to. Yeah. All right, brother. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.
All right, everybody. That was my friend Dan Gabriel, a uh, very, very funny comedian, uh, great dude, and uh, good dad, husband, all that shit. He's a good dude in general. So thanks for listening. As always, check out TimGatherComedy.com. If you're in Dallas or Plano, Texas, I'm going to be at Hyenas in Dallas, the 7th through the 9th. That's starting this Thursday. Um, and actually, this podcast might come out in two weeks, so some of this might be irrelevant. But I'm also going to be at Plano's in Dallas, or excuse me, Hyenas in Plano after I do Dallas. That's why you should think before you speak. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Check out makingithappen.com. Check it, help out little Bo Macon, uh, timgathercomedy.com, blah, blah, blah. God bless all of you. Thanks for listening. Bye.